If you remember my vocation story, you can tune out for the start of this homily. Uh, in my fourth year of college, I got really involved at the Newman Center at Iowa State. I must have been hanging out there too much because the priest asked if I'd ever thought about the priesthood and that I should come to the priesthood discernment group that he had on Sunday evenings. I honestly told him no, I never thought about it, and no, I would not be coming to the discernment group. A week later, he told me, he asked me again, and this time he mentioned that they served pizza at these meetings. I started going. From this time on to the time that I actually entered seminary was seven whole years. In that time, I graduated and worked, worked at Mayo for five years, uh, dated during uh, this time um, of discernment, uh, discerning what the Lord wanted me to do with my life. It was not always easy. There were many days when I was almost mad at God for not reviewing what He wanted me to do with my life. Looking back, I can see now that every part of the journey was a gift from God. God's timing was not my timing, and I'm a better person because of it. In the first week from Deuteronomy, Moses reminds the Israelites to always remember where they came from. Moses talked about how Joseph and his father Jacob and his brothers and the whole family moved from Israel to Egypt during the famine that Joseph had predicted and that thus they were able to be saved from. Jacob's descendants in Egypt became a great, strong and numerous nation, so much so that after a while the Egyptians became afraid that if the Israelites did turn on them, they could defeat them. So the Egyptians decided to reduce the Israelites to slaves to keep them in check. The Egyptians maltreated and oppressed the Israelites. The Bible says that the Israelites, uh, the descendants of uh, Jacob, were in Egypt for about 400 years. Now it doesn't say exactly how much of those 400 years were spent as slaves, but I'm sure it was many generations. And I'm sure those many generations lived and died wondering where God was in all the affliction, toil, and oppression of slavery. Finally though, finally after being there for 400 years, God brings the Israelites out of Egypt in dramatic fashion. Moses says God brought them out of Egypt with his strong hand and outstretched arm, with terrifying power, with signs and wonders. And now God had brought them to the promised land, to a land filled with milk and honey. God saved his people in dramatic fashion, but only after they had suffered greatly. <clears throat> Jesus, after living the hidden life for 30 years as a son of Joseph and Mary, approaches John the Baptist and gets baptized, not because he needed it, but as a sign and example for us to follow. After Jesus is baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit leads Jesus into the desert for 40 days. Have you ever thought about what the Israelites did during the 40 years that they wandered in the desert? Everyone except for Joshua and Caleb passed away. That means that hundreds of thousands of Israelites died in the desert. But the next generation rose up in their place. They became expert soldiers to prepare for the day in which they would wage war against the people of the Promised Land and take it over. What was Jesus doing in the desert for 40 days? Besides not eating, Jesus was preparing for his temptation, for his public ministry. 
After 40 days, Luke records Jesus was hungry. This is probably the understatement of the whole Bible. I don't know about you, but I get hungry if I don't eat after a couple hours, let alone 40 days. Yes, Jesus is fully divine, but he's also fully human. Jesus actually experienced temptation to sin. However, unlike you or me, he never gives in. So the devil is really smart to tempt Jesus with food after Jesus had not eaten for 40 days. How often are we tempted with sinful bodily pleasures and fall? How often do we fall to masturbation or glutton? In those moments of temptation, cry out to Jesus and ask for the fortitude and courage to do the virtuous thing. In the second temptation, Satan attacks with power and influence. How many of us have dreamed of fame and fortune and power and influence? How many of us have desired to be popular? Satan tells Jesus that he can have all the kingdoms of the world, that Jesus can have all this power and glory if Jesus but worships Satan. We may not be Satan worshippers, but how often do we put things ahead of God, thinking that they will bring us fame, fortune, power, and influence? In the third temptation, Satan attacks with pride. How many of us have thought, oh, it's not that big a deal. If I do this, it won't really hurt anyone. Besides, God will forgive me. This is pride. This is the sin of presumption. The sin of pride makes our lives about ourselves instead of lives being about God and others. Our gospel passage today ends with the line, when the devil had finished every temptation, he departed from him for a while. This brings two things to mind. One, the phrase, every temptation. Contained in these three temptations of Christ is every temptation we will ever face. Jesus defeats Satan with scripture. When we are tempted with sins of pleasure, power, and pride, we too should have scripture ready. Thus, it is good to read and memorize passages of the Bible. In these all three encompassing temptations, Jesus was victorious over Satan. Thus, being disciples of Jesus, we too have been offered the grace to defeat Satan if we are willing to accept it. Two, Satan departed from Jesus for a time. A time. This means Satan is not done with Jesus yet. Satan is going to come at Jesus again. It is no different for us, Jesus' followers. Satan is going to attack us over and over again. Just because we are successful in repelling Satan's temptations once, doesn't mean that we are done. We need to constantly be on guard and tap into God's grace to repel the attempts of the evil one. Jesus may have wished that God the Father or God the Holy Spirit had driven Satan away before the temptations had begun, but they didn't. Jesus wasn't spared from the temptations of Satan, but he had the grace to overcome them. God doesn't spare us from hardships and temptations. If we open our hearts to God, he will give us the grace to overcome them. In the second reading St. Paul's letter to the Romans, St. Paul says, The word is near you, in our mouth and in our hearts. Jesus is the word. The Bible are the, is the word of God. We must memorize scripture so that we are prepared to do battle with the evil one, with Satan. 
as Christians, God is not going to spare us from the desert, from the desert. He is not going to spare us from hardships and temptations. However, He offers us the grace, the tools, the Bible, the teachings of the church to resist evil and overcome it. Even if sin is habitual and rooted deep in our souls, we know that God can and transform our souls. It might not happen overnight, but through the grace of patience and fortitude that comes from visiting the sacraments of confession and Eucharist on a regular basis, we can defeat all sin. So trust, believe, and know that God is more powerful than your sin.